All right, today we're going to talk about leading with integrity, and our scripture verse is Genesis uh, 46. We'll begin in verse 31, and then we'll go into most of chapter 47. Uh, this is our penultimate sermon in 16 out of 17 messages uh, that we've been preaching here at Great Hills on the life of Joseph from Genesis 37 through 50, and I uh, hate to... Uh, Kind of sad that uh, next week is our last, uh, se- our last message in these series of messages because I've enjoyed so much studying again the life of Joseph. And I hope you have as well. I hope you've been benefited. I hope you've been blessed and, yes, even uh, challenged as you study the life of this Old Testament saint, this great patriarch named uh, Joseph. Well, it was February the 12th, 1959. It was the 150th anniversary of the birth of what... Some say is the greatest uh, of the American presidents, Abraham Lincoln. The distinguished poet and speaker was the historian Carl Sandburg, and he was very eloquent. He's very prepared to address Congress that day and many other dignitaries and guests. And the title of his speech, as they commemorated and celebrated the life of Abraham Lincoln, the title of his speech was this Man of Steel and Velvet. That was the title Man of Steel and velvet. And Sandberg said these words, not often in the story of mankind does a man arrive on earth who is both steel and velvet, hard as a rock, soft as drifting fog, who holds in his heart and in his mind the paradox of terrible storm and peace unspeakable and perfect. While the war winds howled, he, Abraham Lincoln, insisted that the Mississippi was one river and we should and it should belong to one country. While the luck of war wavered and broke again and again as generals failed and campaigns were lost, he held enough forces together to raise new armies and supply them until generals were found who made war as victorious war has always been made with terror and frightfulness, destruction, valor and sacrifice, past words of man to tell. In the midst shame and blame of the immense wrongs of two crashing civilizations. Often with nothing to say, he said nothing, slept not at all, and on occasions he was seen to weep in a way that made weeping appropriate and decent and majestic. Yes, Abraham Lincoln, man of steel and velvet, the, uh, uh, the outward shell of a crocodile, but the inward tenderness of a lamb. And you know, when I read that, I thought about our leader. I thought about Joseph. He, too, was a man uh, of great steel, steel of character and integrity, but he's also very soft and in the sense of being very compassionate. Uh, He was meek, but he was not weak. He was far from weak. And Joseph, as we have studied his life, let let me just kind of bring you up to date as to where we've been. And then next week, as we look at chapter 50, what really culminates the study of Joseph if you haven't been here, let me just give you just a brief um, summary of what has happened in Joseph's life. He has been sold into slavery by his blood brothers. They cast him in a pit, and the Midianite traders came by, and they lifted him out of the pit, paid about 20 shekels of silver for their brother. That's what they received. And they took him on to Egypt. And while he was in Egypt, he was uh, bought off the slave market by a man by the name of Potiphar. Now, Potiphar, let me remind you guys... He was Pharaoh's chief executioner. Uh, He was, I guess, the epitome of the secret service. He was the one that looked after Pharaoh. In fact, somebody described 
Potiphar as Pharaoh's personal bodyguard, okay? So he, you can imagine, large man, strong man, and he buys Joseph and employs him in his home. And we begin to see in Genesis 38, well, Genesis 39, that Joseph has the favor of God on his life. It seems like everything he touches just turns to gold. But he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. She said, he's trying to rape me. And, of course, it was far from the, the truth. But Potiphar places him in prison, and he's there for a few years, and he interprets dreams. And he interprets the dream of a butler who worked for Pharaoh. And so the butler was lifted out of prison, and he was reestablished, repositioned at the right hand there of Pharaoh. Well, two more years go by, and Pharaoh has a dream. In fact, he has a couple of dreams, and, and the butler, he says, Oh, my mercy, I remember the era of my ways. Pharaoh, there is a guy in prison that you need to meet because he can, he can interpret your dream with the seven cows, fat cows, seven scrawny fat cows, and then you got the, 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 the wheat that's all chafed and blighted and it's destroyed and then you got the plump grains of wheat there's a guy in prison in fact his name is Joseph and if you get him out I think you'll come and interpret your dream and that's exactly what happened and now here's Joseph about 30 years of age uh, he was sold into slavery when he was about 17 so he's been he's had a tough life for about 13 years and if you read that you may think man God must be mad at Joseph I mean, Joseph must have committed some heinous, egregious crime against God and humanity because, look, I mean, God has made this guy suffer. I mean, God has placed him in the crucible of pain and temptation and difficulty. And all along, as we have noticed, God was crafting his man. God was shaping his man. He was lifting him and burning off all the impurities and all the dross because God knew there had to be a man of steel and a man of velvet who would lead Egypt and lead really the known world in a time of famine. And so uh, we, we've watched Joseph as he's come to preeminence. But then here they come. Here come the brothers. And it's those brothers that betrayed him those 20-plus years back. Now they come and they're starving and they're looking for help and they're looking for aid. And, and we noticed a couple of weeks ago that Joseph, he brought them in. And uh, he forgave them after he sent them through a battery of tests. He forgave them. He sent them back. And now they brought Jacob, and they have this holy, regal, royal reunion. And now what are we going to do? There's five years left of this extensive drought, this famine. In fact, we're going to read this passage of Scripture in a moment, and it describes this very graphic Hebrew verb. It says, the earth has been scorched. It has literally been burned over. And there's five more years, and now everybody's looking to Joseph. Listen to this. Even Pharaoh is looking to Joseph because he has delegated unto Joseph the responsibility to parcel out the grain and to organize the state and the system in such a way that there's not social anarchy, to organize it in such a way that the people are civil even though they're starving. And so we're going to pick up the text today and look at Joseph the way he leads He's going to lead with magnificent integrity, not only in his own life and in his family's life, but I want you to notice how he's going to lead in his occupation and in his job. Now, for many weeks now, I've been thinking about many of you who own your own businesses, and because God has prospered you and blessed you, you basically have kept Great Hills Baptist Church afloat. Let me, let me just tell you that. There's a handful of you guys, because of your enormous generosity, 
You have kept us afloat through some very lean, difficult years, and I just want you to know I appreciate it. And here's my prayer, selfishly. God, keep blessing you. God, keep blessing your business and prospering you because you're faithful and you're blessing our church. And there's some of you guys and gals that are starting new businesses. I know of two or three of you that are launching brand new businesses. And I've been wanting to pray for you and, in fact, just, just call you out publicly and say, God bless you, and I pray that your business... Um, is prospered. Let, let me just mention uh, Philip and Chelsea Pierce. I don't know if you're here today, but you're starting a new business. God bless y'all. If you're not here, your fans are here. That's, that's good. And then Laura Day is starting a new marketing company. And I, I just, I'm praying that God blesses your business and prospers you greatly. So, so let me do that. Let me pray for them. Father, thank you for these businessmen and businesswomen. And I pray that you would prosper them and bless them in every way. God, thank you for their generosity. And because, Lord, seriously, truly, because, Lord, you have blessed them and they have been such a blessing to us, I'm just so thankful. God, I pray for the Pierces. Would you bless them and their uh, veterinarian uh, enterprise, God, the Great Escape? Would you bless them and bless Lauren and Nate, Lord, and their new uh, buzzwords, buzzworks, can't remember the exact name, but it's something like that. God, bless them. And I know, Lord, that they will be faithful like Joseph and they will lead with great integrity. And for others, Lord, that are here today, that maybe they have their own business, I pray for them that you would bless them and just cause them to lead and to live like Joseph did. Encourage me, Lord, as a leader, as a pastor, and other leaders that are in this room and many that are listening uh, through the Internet, online, and television, I pray that you would bless all of those folks, God. And let them know, God, that when we lead with integrity and humility and creativity, God, you bless. You give stability and prosperity. And so, Lord, we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today, let's look first of all at Joseph's integrity and the way he led uh, his family. And there, there, there's a template, there's a triumvirate, if you will. There's three things that I want you to look at with me as the way Joseph led with integrity and then with creativity and how that led to stability. And I want to look at this this triad, if you will, on two different occasions. First of all, I want to look at Joseph as we study, uh, and I'm going to have to shorten my sermon up because we're going to have to read a lot of scriptures, but that's okay. You know, I, I love for a pastor to say, I've got lots of scripture to read because that means he's going to preach the Bible, okay? And so we get to study God's Word today, which is, which is awesome. That water is way too far down there, brother, for me to get it. I guarantee you. There's, I could get down, but there ain't no getting back up. Yeah. It's bad when you almost have to have your wife to put your socks on. You know what I'm saying? Listen, I was putting my socks on, then I pulled a muscle in my other side of my back. It was just it was wonderful. I know what some of you are thinking. Getting old stinks. No argument from this fella. No. All right, so scenario one, we're going to have to read chapter 46, begin in verse 31, and we've got to go to chapter 47, verse 12, okay? So if you have your Bibles, that's awesome. If you don't, I would encourage you to bring your Bibles so that you can mark in them, so you can write in them. God will speak to you as I preach. He's just, he's amazing. He will speak. And as he speaks, you'll need to jot down some things. Also, we have in the, in the bulletin there, in the worship guide, there's a, there's a handout that you can take notes if you so choose. So Genesis 46, verse 31. Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I'm going to go up and I'm going to tell Pharaoh and I'm going to say to him, My brothers and those of my father's house who were in the land of Canaan, they have come to me. 
And the men are shepherds, for their occupation has been to feed livestock, and they have brought their flocks. They have brought their herds and all that they have. And so it shall be. When Pharaoh calls you... Notice what Joseph's doing, guys. He's going ahead of them. He's leading his family to prosperity. He is... He is paving the way. By the way, somebody has to pave the way. In order for there to be stability and blessings for future generations, somebody has to have the integrity and the wherewithal to stand up, do the right thing, and then as you do the right thing, God blesses and He blesses your posterity, those that come after you. So it shall be when Pharaoh calls you and says, What's your occupation? You shall say to him, Your servant's occupation has been with livestock. Don't tell him you're a shepherd. Because they, they don't like you to use that terminology, shepherd. And just tell them, we work with animals. We work with livestock from our youth even until now, both we and also our fathers, that you may dwell in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is an abomination uh, to the Egyptians. Then let's go to verse 1. Then Joseph went. Now listen, guys. Watch this, Great Hills. He's, the goal is Goshen to bless his family and put them in a land where they're not going to starve and they are going to be blessed. So he's going to put them in Goshen, so he's preparing the way. He's already, he's already dropped the idea to Pharaoh, and now he's going to speak directly to his brothers about it. He said, Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh, and he said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds, and all that they possess, they have come from the land of Canaan, and indeed they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers, and he presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to them, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants were shepherds. Nitwits, he said, don't tell them that. He said, don't tell Pharaoh you're shepherds. Just tell them, you know, we work with the livestock because, they, you know, when you use that terminology, shepherding, they just kind of, it's a pejorative word to them, to, to the Egyptians. By the way, there's a lot of Egyptian superiority going on here. And the fact that Joseph is a Hebrew from Canaan, he is not a regal royal Egyptian, that it's just a miracle of God that he is where he is. He is like that turtle on a fence post. The only way he got up there, somebody put him up there, and that's exactly what we're seeing here with Joseph, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, We have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please, now they're wise enough. They have, they have heard their brother, and the brother told them, Joseph said, Now, listen. You need to not mention you're a shepherd, but you do need to tell Pharaoh that you want to live in Goshen, okay? And so they said that. And Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Watch this. Why don't, why don't we just dwell, let them dwell in the land of Goshen? Now, hold on. Y'all keep it right there. Isn't that funny? How leaders... He, Pharaoh's almost taking credit for this. But Joseph's the one... <laughs> that planted the seed, and, and Joseph's the one who, um, you know, kind of was in the shadows. But Joseph, he's so amazing. He wants, to, he wants to bless his family, but he also wants to honor Pharaoh. And, and Joseph's sometimes almost too good to be true. He's not going to take credit for it. He's going to give all the credit to Pharaoh, and, and he's just happy with that. And the land of Egypt is... Let me back up just a second there. And the land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and brothers dwell in the best of the land. Here it is. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. All right? And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. And Joseph brought in his father, Jacob, and set him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Here's a mighty 
momentous moment where this Old Testament patriarch, Jacob, meets this, this king, this Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years, few and evil. Oh, bless Jacob. He's just kind of born in a negative mood sometimes. He just, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. But Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers. Watch this. And he gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all of his father's household with bread according to the number in their families. Isn't that amazing? And Joseph has the integrity and he has the wherewithal, not only simultaneously to honor Pharaoh, to put those good thoughts in Pharaoh's mind and then say, wow, Pharaoh, great, great job. You're the one that thought of that, huh? That's wonderful. And then he's, he's looking after his family, the very family. Here's what's so amazing to me, church, is these are the same guys that 22 years earlier had betrayed him almost to the point of death. I mean, Joseph, the fact that he's alive is a miracle of God. His blood brothers have betrayed him, have harmed him, sold him into slavery, and if he dies, then he dies. Just be gone with them. And lo and behold, Joseph now rises to prominence, and he has all this authority and this power to execute revenge and retaliation on his brothers, but he chooses not to do that. He chooses to have integrity. Integrity is doing the right thing when everything within you screams, do the wrong thing. I love to study the word integrity. There, there's a couple, I guess a prefix and a suffix. I love it. The integer, the wholeness, and then the word grit. You ever seen that before? Look at the word integrity. It actually has the word grit in it. It just connotes the idea of strength in doing uh, what is right. Uh, Warren Wiersbe says this about the word integrity. He says, well, the dictionary says it comes from the Latin integ integritas, which means wholeness, entireness, and completeness. The root word is integer, which means untouched, intact, and entire. Integrity is to personal or corporate character what health is to the body. That is a good quote, by the way. You may want to jot that one down. Integrity is, as Warren Wiersbe says, it is to personal or corporate character what health is to the body or 20-20 vision is to the eyes. A person with integrity is not divided, that is duplicity, and nor is he fake, that is, hypocrisy. He or she is whole. Life is put together and things work together harmoniously. People have integrity. They have nothing to hide and nothing to fear. Their lives are open books. And you'll see that Joseph has this ability about him. He has this integrity about him to do the right thing. Maybe he's tempted. Maybe everything's screaming within him. Do the wrong thing. Exact a punishment, get your pound of Shakespearean flesh out of those brothers. But he says, no, because God has preserved me. God has placed me in the position of authority, and he's placed me here to save your very lives. So number one there is integrity. Number two is creativity. If you're looking, if you're with me on PowerPoint, there you go, is creativity. Now, I mentioned this earlier, but let me, let me uh, summarize this quickly with Goshen. Goshen is the goal. And if Goshen is the goal for the family to take care of them, Joseph has to plant the seeds in the mind of the brothers 
and in the mind of Pharaoh. And he does that in verse 34, in the, in the minds of the brothers, he mentions Goshen. And then in verse 1 of chapter 47, he mentions Goshen to Pharaoh, so much so that Pharaoh thinks it's his own idea, which I love that. And then in verse 4, the brothers mention it to Pharaoh. You say, well, why is Goshen so important? Well, we looked at this one other time, but let, let, me, let me say it again. Goshen is in the northeastern part of Egypt, and it's in the in kind of this zone, Z-O-A-N valley, and it's close to the sea, and it's also just to the west is the Nile River. And so it's basically this little haven, this little paradise. And here's another thing. Goshen is in the northeast. Most of the Egyptians live in the south and in the southwest. So he's got them about as far apart as he can. You know why? Because they don't like them. Uh, the Egyptians, they have this air of superiority about them. So Joseph sees this, and he places his brothers in this fertile land here in Goshen. I mean, it... it, it there's drought, there's famine, there's difficulty, but if anybody's going to survive, because they're going to be able to fish out of the Nile and maybe even over into the ocean, and plus they are separated from the Egyptians. And so it's very important. And Joseph, he's leading his family well. He's leading them with integrity, if you will, and he's being very creative about it uh, in the process. A fabulous example to us and an incredible leader. Um, Alex Ignatius, one of our church members, I, I love this quote. We met with him a couple weeks ago. And by the way, we're, we're about to launch something new here at Great Hills. It's going to come here in just a few weeks. We're going to start a Monday night worship service for the Asian community. And it's for those who, don't, who have to work on Sundays and they're unable to come to church. And so we're excited about launching this October. But Alex said this, and I love this quote. He said, a vision without strategy is wishful thinking. And I like that. A vision without a strategy, is wishful thinking. So if Goshen is the goal, how are we going to get those people into Goshen? If financial security is your goal, then what are the steps you're going to take to make sure that you're financially secure and your family is blessed? If to attain your education is the goal, then how are you going to get to that goal? You've got to have integrity. You've got to have, sometimes you've got to have lots of creativity. You've got to work a couple of jobs to make it happen. But it's going to pay off, and you're going to be blessed if you stay with it. And so Joseph's given us this template, this beautiful example of how to lead with integrity, how to lead well. Yeah, yeah, steel and velvet. So here's the stability. In verse 11 it says, And so they were situated, they were yashab is the Hebrew word. They, were, they sat down, they dwelled, they remained in Goshen. And he did it. He pulled it off. And I'm so impressed with this because he didn't punish them. He, he didn't, you know, he had it in his hand. And some of you have brothers and sisters who have betrayed you. They swindled you. They got the lion's share of the inheritance. You have a mom. You have a dad that mistreated you, and they were very cruel, very harmful to you. And now the tables, they have turned. You're in control. You call the shots. What are you going to do? Well, I know what I'm going to do, bro. I'm going to remember the pain, and I'm going to make them pay. Burn, 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 baby. You hurt me, and now I'm going to hurt you, and I'm going to go worship the Lord while all the whole process is all going to be great. You can't do that. You can't do that. And for those that didn't hear me, you can't do that. <laughs> I guess you can. And then you'll go right off the scene, 
Nobody will really remember you. They won't, they won't write books about you. Pastors won't stand up and preach about you, but they will if you do the right thing when everything within you is screaming to do the wrong thing. Anybody here like that? Anybody here needs to do the right thing? Even though you've been mistreated and you're harmed, God bless you, by the way. Can we encourage you? Can we come alongside you and say, with God's help and God's supernatural strength, you can do it. You can lead your family well. Okay? Number two, Joseph and his job. All right? So we got to read verses 13 through 26. And I want you to notice Joseph here. He, he puts his managerial hat on and... He's going to lead the nation. He's going to lead it so well. So let's read it. 47, verse 13. Now, there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished. There's that Hebrew word I want you all to look at with me. Laha is the word. Languished here means to burn. Literally means to be so scorched and burnt. The land is, I mean, it's like incarcerated. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's just like in captivity. The land, it, it can't burst, it can't produce a crop. It is, it is a famine. It's a very severe famine, so much so that God told Pharaoh this was going to happen years ago, and Joseph, he got involved, and he's saving up, and he's, he's, he's ready for it the best he can be. There's this great famine in the land of Egypt. And the land has languished because of it. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. Church, we, we look at that and say, well, that's, that's cool. He didn't do the wrong thing. He did the right thing. I mean, he has so much opportunity to fatten his wallet to get an offshore account, man, do something, and just rack up and be a gazillionaire, but he brings every dime, every piece of currency, he brings it into Pharaoh's, his treasury, he does the right thing. So when the money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and they said, give us bread, for why should we die in your presence, for the money has failed. Then Joseph said, give your livestock and I will give you bread for your livestock if the money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them bread in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the cattle of the herds, and for the donkeys. Thus he fed them with bread in exchange for all of their li livestock for that year. Hello, that's year three. We still got four more years of this. And when, they had, when that year had ended, they came to him again the next year, and they said, Well, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is gone. And my Lord also knows, and he has, that our herds and our livestock, there is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes? Both we and our land by us. Now, church, you got to really stay with me on this because you're going to accuse Joseph of some, um, uh, you know, some harsh things if you don't understand that the, that the people requested that Joseph buy them. Okay, you've got to remember that. Because if you don't, you're going to get into e economy, you're going to get into socialism, you're going to get into uh, authoritativism, you're going to get into some places you really shouldn't go because the Bible's not teaching that. The Bible's saying this is a famine, drastic times call for drastic measures, and the people say, Joseph, buy us, we'll be your slaves, and buy our land, just, just give us something to eat. All right, please remember that. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for bread. 
and we in our land will be servants of Pharaoh. Give us seed that we may live and not die, that the land may not, may not be desolate. Then Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for himself, and he lived high on the hog every day for the rest of his life. Is that what your Bible says? He bought it for Pharaoh. He's a man under authority. He, he's doing all this for his employer, and it'll be for the salvation of the people. Watch this. For every man of the Egyptians sold his field because the famine was severe upon them. So the land became Pharaoh's. And as for the people, he moved them into the cities from one end of the borders of Egypt to the other end. Watch this, church, verse 21. Change has come. He's moved them out of their homelands, out of these desperate situations. Only the land of the priests, amen, these are the pastors, these are the preachers, praise the Lord, they're in there. Only the land of the priest he did not buy, for the priest had rations allotted to them by Pharaoh. And they ate their rations which Pharaoh gave them, therefore they did not sell their lands. Then Joseph said to the people, Indeed, I have bought you and your land this day for Pharaoh. Look here, look here, here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land, and it shall come to pass in the harvest. I love this leader. He's looking to the future. He knows these harsh days are not going to last forever. And it shall come to pass in the harvest that you shall give one-fifth to Pharaoh. Four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field and for your food, for those of your households, and as food for your little ones. So they said, you sorry scoundrel, you horrible leader, you autocratic, dictator, despot, monarch, we hate you, Joseph. That's not what it says. It says, you saved our lives. Woo! You saved us, Joseph, and you let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. And Joseph made it a law over the land of Egypt to this day that Pharaoh should have one-fifth except for the land of the priest only, which did not become Pharaoh. So that same triumvirate, that same template that we looked, let's superimpose it upon Joseph as the employer or his avocation, his occupation, his job. Now remember, he's the prime minister of Egypt. And the eyes of the known world are looking to Joseph. Isn't that amazing? Everybody's looking to this Hebrew, probably about 40 years of age at this time in his life. And I want to submit to you, Great Hills Baptist Church, had he not been thrown in, in, the, in the pit, had he not been betrayed by his brothers, had he not been falsely accused, had he not had difficult times in the prison, had he not gone through all of those horrific times, he never would have led well. And that's just God's way of doing things. God prepares us. God shapes us. Some of you here today, you're in the pit. I mean, you're in the bottom, you're in the well, you're in the crucible, you're having a hard time, and you're thinking, God, you're not my friend. God, you're my enemy. And yet God loves you so much that he's burning away the dross and that he's, he's creating a man, he's creating a godly woman. Woo! There's a woman of God in the crucible, and God loves you so much, ma'am. He wants you to be such an awesome leader one day. He's not going to let you out. <laughs> he won't let you out until you're ready, until I'm ready. And then when he lets us out, then we're ready to lead because then we can say, God, this is of you. And God gets all the praise. So stay with us on this, in this story. So he has integrity. He brings, first of all, A, integrity. He brings the money to Pharaoh. That, to me, is, is fascinating. Now Chuck Swindoll says, yeah, Joseph, let's watch him. All the money 
went to the proper account. There was no payola, no kickback. He never set up some kind of offshore account, no. There was no secret slush fund. Joseph operated with absolute integrity, and in so doing, he guaranteed the survival of everybody because he acted with integrity. Notice also integrity on the job. I never read in this whole pericope, in this whole story, of Joseph ever promoting himself or patting himself on the back or saying, man, I'm such an amazing prime minister. I'm, I'm saving the whole world. You know, he possibly would have been tempted to do that had he never gone through the desert. And so, but when God brings us up out of the desert, brings us out of difficulty, and then like that turtle puts us up on the fence post, we have to give God the praise and the glory because only God could put us there. You with me on this? I mean, only God could, could do that. And so Joseph, that's why he's not, you know, bringing praise and adulation to himself. So let's go to his creativity. I think you already know the creativity. They're out of money. So Joseph tells them, give over your livestock. You say, well, that was cruel. Listen, those donkeys are going to die. You ever thought of it like that? The animals are going to die if Joseph doesn't get them. Only Joseph can take care of them. Really, only, only the, the Egyptian capital can feed them. So they're like, here, take this. <laughs> we can't feed them, but would you kind of give us some credit for it? And Joseph says, I will. In verse 19 and 20, they offer their land, their very lives to Joseph. And Dr. Henry Morris helped me a lot in understanding this perplexing scenario. Because on the surface, it looks like, well, maybe Joseph's not as the real deal as we thought he was. No, he is, church. He really is this good. He's almost too good to be true. He is velvet, but man, he's got steel about him. Here's what Morris says. Some people have felt that this was a scheme of Joseph, not only to get wealthy, but also to enslave the people. However, it was their ideal. It was their proposal, not Joseph's. And what gain was accrued? To, it was accrued to Pharaoh, never to Joseph. That's so important. I hope you remember that. It is true that it created what amounted to a feudalistic economy, but the alternative would have destroyed personal and national morale, would have bankrupted the government, and probably would have culminated in social anarchy. The stores of food would soon have been depleted and mass starvation would have followed. The system certainly left something to be desired in terms of human freedoms. Yeah, we get that. But a centralized bureaucracy at this time is preferable to mass starvation and anarchy. But watch this. Especially when the bureaucracy is administered intelligently and unselfishly as it was by Joseph. End of quote. Verse 21, one more creative, ingenious move by Joseph. He moves the people. I don't know if y'all caught that in the reading. There's so much here, guys. I meant to say this in my introduction, but Joseph, there's only one other guy in the Old Testament that rivals him, in my estimation, in, as far as leadership skills, and that would be Nehemiah. Maybe one day, Lord willing, we can study Nehemiah and the way God used him to be a great leader for the nation of Israel to rebuild the wall. You'll see the same principles. The, the principles are trans. I mean, they transfer time, they transfer culture, because people of integrity, uh, they have creativity, and they bring about a stabilizing force, a stability. Now, here's the thing he did that I found so fascinating in my study. He took, he took the people out of their houses. And he says, now, guys, I know y'all don't want to move. It'd be like saying, I know y'all live, you love living in Austin, but I, I need you guys to move to San Francisco, okay? Now, I know you're not going to like it, and nobody likes change, but I need y'all to go because we got to spread out. 
we got to spread out in what parcel of land we can find that can produce. we got to camp out on that land. Plus, Joseph has these silos. He has well-positioned them all over Egypt. And if everybody's in the capital, it's going to be anarchy. There's going to be starvation. So he gets them out. That's amazing that a leader can lead in such a way to make people change like that and there not be just absolute chaos. Because we all know we hate change. Nobody likes change. I, I'm, I for one, dis, I just don't I dislike it strongly, but it's like you got to change. Uh, you know, today, America, the church, is kind of like this Egyptian famine. The church in America today, and there's statistic after statistic that shows us that the church is not doing very well in America. Uh, the, the fastest growing religious group in America, they call them the nuns. Not N-U-N's, but N-O-N-E. <laughs> you with me? English is such a hard language. N-O-N-E, the nuns. 23% of Americans today say no. No church, no desire for church, no religious affiliation. I'm a nun. Exit out. I'm not interested. And by the way, that is the fastest growing demographic in America. I think we're in desperate need of revival in America. I believe we're in desperate need of the Word of God. There is a, there's a, Amos or Hosea says, there is a, a lack of knowledge of the Word of God. And I believe everything we need is contained in the Scriptures. If the men of God will just have the backbone to preach the Scriptures, I believe God will have an affinity with that, and I believe He'll send revival. And that's my personal opinion. You have saved our lives. That's, that's the testimony in verse 25. The stability factor. Look at it. Verse 25, it says, Joseph, not Pharaoh, <laughs> you saved our lives. I'm sure he was hated. I'm sure he was misunderstood. I'm sure he, he suffered lots of gossip and that sort of thing. But Joseph, he, he had a job to do. And his job was preservation. His job was prosperity. His job was to save the people from anarchy and starvation and to make things happen in such a way that not only do they live, but they actually they, they come out of it and they're going to be better off for it as a nation. And, and, I just, and I'm just praying God raise up somebody like that for our nation. I do. I, I, just, I just pray. I'm praying every day. God, put the person in the White House that you want to be in, in the White House. God, we need leadership. We need good godly leadership. Some of you are looking at me like, good luck with that, Brother Danny. I, I know. I get that. I understand what's going on. But I'm just, I'm just praying for whoever gets in there. God, help them. God, help them, please. So we need it. We need good leadership. Well, how about you? How about your integrity? How about your creativity? And how about your stability in your family, in your job, in your church? Do you have this Joseph-esque quality about you that you're a person of integrity and creativity and you give stability? Or you have loose morals, no good ideas, and there's chaos. And I really think there's a correlation there between godliness and integrity and walking with God and God shining on you, giving you creative ideals and blessing you and your family and making you stable. I want to encourage you with that because I know I'm, I preach to a bunch of leaders. I preach to a bunch of people way over my head. I mean, you, you are, many of you lead companies, you lead corporations, some of you are uh, uh, principals in, in schools, you're superintendents, and that's awesome. Let me just encourage you. 
take a page out of Holy Scripture of Joseph's managerial handbook and do what he did. And when times are tough and days are dark and times are lonely, when you're in that crucible and you don't think anybody sees and you think God has turned his back on you, just hang in there because a person who's put in a very large, prodigious place of responsibility, he has to have integrity or he doesn't make it or she doesn't make it. Thank you all for bearing with me. God bless you. We are going to have the invitation, though. I'm not in that much of a hurry, all right? I think there's somebody here today that the Lord needed to hear this uh, back hurt preacher preach this message on, on integrity and maybe even on creativity, but especially the stability that, that, that comes. And I'm praying this for our church. Oh, I'm praying. I could make a lot of application. Uh, it could take about 15 more minutes to... In fact, why don't, why don't we come back... Um, I think we're going to set aside October the 2nd at 6 o'clock. Uh, it'll give me an opportunity to share with you kind of what's going on in our church and just talk to you about uh, some goals and some of the vision that I have. And uh, communication is, is the most uh, challenging thing I face as a pastor of a church because um, it's just hard to get the word out enough. But if you could help me out and come October the 2nd, We'll talk through some things like the name change. We'll talk through some things like where we are on building vision, where we can be in four years, praise the Lord, debt-free. There's a lot of things I want to share with you. And I hope that you'll come October the 2nd. And let, let, me, let me share my heart with you. Let me share my vision with you some more. But if you'd bow your head and close your eyes, I'd, that'd be awesome. Before we move into the invitation, can I just, um, can I just offer this this olive branch to, your, to somebody's weary soul today. That God is not against you. God loves you. And it is God's design. It's God's desire to love you, embrace you, forgive you, and shape you to be the woman of God He wants you to be. Maybe you're here today and you've never professed faith in Christ. There's never been a time in your life where you ask God, God, I just give up. <laughs> God, would you forgive me? Would you be my Savior, my Lord? I want to invite you to do that. Some, some precious lady, some sir, you, you need to do that today. Please don't delay. Let, let me encourage you now. The only reason Joseph can do what he did is because the favor of God was on his life. He had a relationship with God. And so the way we do that, the only way, the Bible says, is through faith in Christ and His accomplished, finished work on the cross. So I invite you today to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. I invite you to come in a moment. Come and let us celebrate with you and let us talk to you about baptism and how to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Some of you here today need, you just need a, you, there's no creativity, there's no, there's not much joy, there's just a lot of heartache in your life, there's a lot of pain. Maybe you just need to come forward, let somebody pray for you, let somebody encourage you today, just to remind you, you're not alone. And I've, I've personally seen this in my life. And I'm thinking of his name, but I didn't ask for permission, so I'm not going to give this man's name. But I walked with him two years ago through some very dark times, hard times in his business. And then I've just seen recently how God honored him, honored his integrity, and blessed him enormously. And guys, I'm not surprised. That's just God's way of doing things. He loves, he loves to take us through the hardship. He loves to shape us to be the men and women he wants us to be. And I really believe God truly takes delight in blessing His people. Maybe some of you just need to be blessed, need to be encouraged. Maybe your business is failing. Maybe your home is failing. Maybe your finances are just depleted. And you would just say, hey, 
Somebody just pray with me. Encourage me at this point and let us, let us do that. Others of you here today need a church. You need a place that you can call your own and be a part of a church family. We invite you to come and be a part of Great Hills Baptist Church and what God is doing here. So, Father, I'm just praying in Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God, that you would, Lord, you'd manifest your presence in such a way. It'd be just palpable, Lord. We would just, almost like we could reach out and just touch you, God, because you're just that close and you're that present among us. Lord, we've preached your word today. We've honored your word. We've read it. Uh, we've committed it uh, to our lives. To the best of our ability, Lord, we want to live according to it. And now, Lord, we just ask you to bless it. Bless the preaching of your word. Bless the leadership of the person who preaches the word today, oh God. I know I need you, Lord. And I need you big time in my life and in my family. And so I'm praying for your favor and your anointing to be upon me and to be upon our people. And I do pray, God. I pray for those that are in positions of leadership and authority. That, Lord, they would be people of integrity. That, God, they would do the right thing when everything within them screams do the wrong thing. God, help them. Help them to have character. Help them, Lord, to have integrity to do the right thing when nobody's looking, Lord, because, God, you always look. You always see and know. So I'm praying for our people today. And I'm asking, Lord, for your favor upon this invitation. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you to stand, if you would. Have our pastors and some folks that have come up front here to pray with you, to encourage you. Listen, if you're struggling, you just need some. I tell you, there's something. It's majestic. It's almost miraculous when we humble ourselves and just come forward and say, God, here I am. Lord, I need you. Lord, I have not been a person of integrity. I've not been a person uh, that, that is pleasing to you. So God, please forgive me. And, and you just want to reach out, let somebody encourage you and pray with you. God bless you. Why don't you come? Corey, as you lead us, why don't you come today?